Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Let's begin again with prayer. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we remember that couplet that we sing in church. Every day I have on earth is given by the King. And so we thank you for this new day, for your goodness and your kindness to us, for our lives themselves. And we come for a few minutes to think of your word. We ask for the work of your Holy Spirit, that he would lead us and teach us. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Not all psalms are songs of praise, of course. Some recount God's blessings, other, others request God's blessing and help. There are prayers of an individual, collective prayers for the whole worshipping people, prayers for the king, and there's the remarkable 119th psalm, which is so skillfully composed around the Hebrew alphabet. Quite remarkable. There are also laments. And there's Psalm 88, which has been called the saddest prayer in the Psalter. There are also seven psalms called penitential psalms, psalms of repentance and contrition. And the one chosen for us today is one of those, Psalm 51, perhaps the most well-known of the seven. Often we don't know the background of a psalm although sometimes the heading suggests uh, the background, but we can be pretty sure of the cause of this psalm, the incident of David and Bathsheba. David has been guilty of watching what he should have turned away from, of coveting another man's wife, of adultery, of deceit, of murder, at least four of the commandments he's broken there. Humanly speaking, as the king, he could get away with it. And he must have pacified his conscience until that time when the prophet Nathan comes in and fires his arrow right at David's heart. David is stricken. How could he have done this? What was I thinking of? to do this and he's physically affected as if his bones have been broken what a mess after all that God has blessed me with there's no denial there's no plea of mitigation he admits his fault his sin and some, the first two verses of the psalm really sum up the whole psalm itself. It's a plea for mercy. Have mercy on me, O God. Or it could be translated, be gracious to me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. There's that word chesed again, covenant love. He is reminding God of the covenant, that covenant with Abraham, with the Israelites at Sinai, in the wilderness, in the promised land. God's specific promise 
to Abraham and his descendants, according to your mercy, according to your covenant love, blot out my transgressions. Notice he has it in the plural. He's not saying to God, please ignore them. They have to be dealt with. And he says, wash me thoroughly, cleanse me. So the first part of the request is, deal with my sin. I know what I've done, he said. It's staring me in the face. Then he says, against you, against you only have I sinned. I don't think he's denying that Bathsheba and her husband have been grievously wronged. But he sees that the whole thing is an offense against the Lord himself. Both in Numbers and in Leviticus, God makes clear that sin against a fellow human being is sin against him, not just against the human beings. His offense was not this bit was against the Lord and this bit was against Bathsheba or Uriah. The whole thing was against the Lord. You are justified in what you've said to me through Nathan and without fault in your condemnation of me. It's all right. Hide your face from my sins. Don't look on them. Blot out my iniquities. Don't just overlook them. And for the second time, he asked, blot them out. He knew that there was no sacrifice that could be effective for such deliberate sin as he was guilty of. There was nothing that he could offer. Just the mercy of God was the, his only hope. Deal with my sin, deal with me, is the other aspect of what he says. De-sin me. He's saying, in effect, don't just obliterate the sin, deal with me. He's already said, wash me thoroughly. Now he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Hyssop grew wild and its long stalks was used uh, with the ashes of the red heifer and so on in purification. So he's asking that the Lord will do something that will deal with him, make me clean. He's overcome by what's called sometimes objective guilt, real guilt before God. Then he says, restore me. I feel guilty. I know I'm guilty and I feel guilty. Please receive me back where I was before. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. From the time of his anointing, the Spirit of the Lord had come on David, just as it had departed from his predecessor Saul. Don't let me end up like Saul. Don't reject me. Restore me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Having said, renew a right spirit within me, he now adds, uphold me with a willing spirit. Not only forgive me, but cleanse me. Change me. Change my attitude. I want reconciliation with you. 
restore me to my old position and give me joy in my relationship. Work in my life, change me and my attitude. When David said in Psalm 23, he restoreth my soul, did he have this in mind? We can't know, but very likely. What can we say about else about David? Well, David understood human nature. We read with New Testament eyes and we understand we're Christians and we understand there's something wrong with human nature. It's not just that we do things wrong, contrary to God's desire. There's something wrong with us before it shows on the outside. Our Lord Jesus made it clear it's not what happens to a man that makes him unclean. It's what comes out of his heart. For from within, out of men's heart, come evil thoughts and all the other things that he talks about. All these evils come from inside and they are what make a man unclean. The Apostle Paul makes it clear that we are born sinners, all of us. And we're, I think, familiar with that. We're familiar with the gospel. David understood it. Was he ahead of his time? In some senses, he was. I think in the prophets, we can see glimpses of this. But not everyone would have realized what David realized. I was born in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Not that the acts of conception were sinful, of course, but that human nature, the human nature that his parents passed on to him was flawed. He was a sinner from the beginning, even before he sinned. And this was a problem. God desires truth in the inward being. He knew the truth of what the Lord said to Samuel. The Lord looks on the heart. That was when he was anointed, wasn't it? This is why when promising his new covenant, God said, I will put my law in them and write it on their hearts. It's more than forgiveness. God puts a new principle within us. It's the new birth. He puts a new seed within us that has to grow. And being one of God's people means we must be open to being taught by him in our minds and in our hearts. For it's what in our hearts that matters. David realized that. And David is an example of true repentance. Contrast Saul. You remember, he sinned presumptuously by offering sacrifice without waiting for Samuel. And Samuel warns him that because of this, his kingdom will not last and his sons will not follow him. Then a bit later, Saul deliberately transgresses uh, God's instruction in dealing with the Amalekites. Samuel has to tell him that to obey is better than sacrifice the Lord has rejected you as king. How does he respond? There's no repentance. There's no contrition. But he grabs hold of Samuel and says, Oh, please don't disrespect me in front of everybody. 
Help me maintain my dignity as king. This is what Paul calls in Corinthians worldly sorrow. Yeah, he was sorry for the consequences, but not really sorry for the sin. Godly sorrow, says Paul, brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Worldly sorrow brings death. And uh, we know the story, the sad story of how Saul ended really in despair in his last battle. David was not concerned about his reputation or whether he would get away with what he had done, which would have been worldly sorrow. He wanted forgiveness, a change of heart. Godly sorrow brings repentance that brings radical change of life. So we've just really looked at what uh, David's prayer for forgiveness and restoration. We've realized that he knew what human nature was really like before God. He's a picture of true repentance. Have you ever asked why this psalm is included in the Psalter? David didn't put it in. It was the Psalter was compiled later. Why did the compilers include it? Well, perhaps it was because of King David, the much revered king. It was one of his poems. But I think they recognize too that this psalm teaches us important things. As this psalm was sung in temple worship, there would have been some who would have sung it simply recounting what happened, just history, part of their religious ritual. This is what we do when we worship God. But the faithful among them would take it to heart. It would speak to them. They would remember that the Lord wanted truth in the inward parts. They would acknowledge that heartfelt repentance was an indispensable part of their continuing worship and service. It wasn't just once, it was continuing. And they would look for joy in that relationship too. And I think we should be doing the same. 